While he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward the disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Morning, everyone. How are you doing? Thank you, Ernie. That was, uh, that was good. It's always nice to have different people up, right? That's yeah, good. Church is a family experience, and uh, to have the voices of everyone uh, worshiping and people up here sharing different things, praying, reading, worshiping, uh, babies crying, it's a family experience, right? So, so a question for you guys. When you guys think about family, what word comes to mind? Just shout it out. Family. Parents. Closeness. What else? Love. What about, some, what about some bad things? This is church, we can be honest, right? What's that? Beats? Like licks? Yeah, all right. Irritating. Sorry, Chris. What's that? Yeah. Anxiety. Family is a massive, massive topic. Okay? It's a massive, massive topic. And it's very easy to want to list off the good stuff, but I think if we sat for a few minutes and started to chip away and started to share. We probably have a lot of good things to say, a lot of neutral things to say, and probably a couple of bad things to say too, right? And so it's a really big topic. And uh, so if we look at the passage, we actually see that Jesus is actually no stranger to family. He understands family very well. So let's look at verse 46. Verse 46. It says, while he was still speaking to the people... Behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking him to speak, or asking to speak to him, sorry. And so the first and most obvious thing that we see here is that Jesus had siblings, right? And I know that might be confusing for maybe if you grew up in a Roman Catholic background because there is something called perpetual virginity of of Mary, and this kind of uh, ruins that, right? It kind (laughs) kind of ends that a little bit. And so, Jesus had four brothers, and uh, I think we'll get there in a couple weeks, but in Matthew 13, verses 55 to 56, we see that Jesus had four brothers named James, who's the author of the book of James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas, or some translations will call it Jude, who is the author of the book Jude, right? And so, in Matthew, in those verses, we see that, but what, that when you read those verses, it says that he was recognized, Jesus was recognized as the carpenter Joseph's son, and obviously the biological son of Mary. And so what we see there is that Jesus grew up in family. He very well understood what it was like to have siblings and uh, f- like family and family disputes. Uh, the history shows that, that Joseph, his father, his uh, earthly father passed away at some time, at some point in his life we don't really know. Uh, we hear about him uh, kind of when uh, Jesus is 12 years old in the book of Luke, and they go to Jerusalem, and then Jesus uh, stays back, and then they get upset at him, and that's pretty much the last time we hear about Joseph, so we assume that he's no longer in the picture. And so, when we look in the scriptures, we see that there are different things that are taught about his relationship with his family. We know that Jesus was perfect as well. And so you can probably imagine, if you guys have siblings, that he probably was like the worst sibling to ever grow up with. Do you remember the look on you? Who here has a sibling? 
So do you remember the face that your sibling made while you were getting in trouble? You remember that face? Yeah, I can't see. I know you guys are smiling, but the mask, right? Whatever. But he's probably like probably one of the worst siblings to grow up with. I mean, not because he was a jerk, not because he took their stuff, right? Isn't that like the bane? That's like the, the peak of sibling stuff, right? They take my stuff, get out of my room, whatever. Uh, but he wasn't, he, I don't think he was a bad sibling because he was bad or he was, he was a jerk, but probably because he was so perfect, right? Those are hard and big shoes to fill. So I could feel like the frustration coming off of like some of you guys. <laughs> but there's more in the scriptures that show us a little bit more about his family. So if we look at John chapter 7 verse 5, we see a really simple and yet profound verse. And you guys can read that story another time, but I'll just read this verse for you. Verse 5 in chapter 7 says, For not even his brothers believed in him. Not even his brothers believed in him. And that story is a story about his brothers trying to trick him to go to Jerusalem, I think it is, for a festival. And he's like, it's not time yet. And they, they're trying to get him to go so that he'll embarrass himself, right? There's a little bit of, uh, it's not really neutral. They're actually a little bit hostile to him. They don't really like him. They think he's crazy. And so we come down hard on, uh, you know, you read through, especially the Gospel of John, and you can get kind of frustrated, and you say, well, you know, how could the Jews not recognize him that he was the Messiah? Well, imagine sleeping inches away from him for 30 years and still not knowing who he was. There's a little, another level of frustration that I'm sure Jesus maybe experienced. Uh, we see in Mark chapter 3, verses 20 to 21, after Jesus uh, calls his disciples, it says that he went home and a crowd gathered again so they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him. For they were saying, he is out of his mind. Family's complicated, right? Even Jesus knew that. And so if we look at today's passage, we see that Jesus is teaching his disciples, he's, he's sitting or standing, but he's teaching his disciples when a man finds Jesus and tells him that his family is outside looking for him. And so, in typical Jesus fashion, instead of getting up and going, like probably a normal person would do, he turns to the man in verse 48 and says, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And can you imagine what the guy was like? He's like, well, those guys didn't. The people who sent me, obviously, are, that's your family, right? Jesus is the king of kings, but he's also the king of answering questions with questions, right? Ever the opportunist, Jesus uses his family's visit to teach his disciples about what it means to be part of God's family. And so we look at verse 49. Jesus doesn't even look at the guy, the man who's, who's the messenger, and he looks at his disciples and he says in verses 49 and 50, here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. And so we're going to look at family today. We're going to look at biological family. We're going to look at spiritual family. And uh, yeah, we'll see what God has for us. So let's, let's pray. Father, just I pray that your spirit would speak to us today, that your spirit would teach me as, and teach everyone else here today. And God, that you would soften our hearts, that today if we hear your voice, we wouldn't harden our hearts and that we wouldn't turn from you, that, but that we would run to you, that you would cause us to worship you, cause us to repent, cause us to confess, 
cause us to be humbled, but then cause us to be encouraged as well. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to look at uh, three uh, kind of things about family here. And uh, the first one is that we are called to love our biological family. And so I know just looking at the text, it doesn't really say that outright. But I think it's very important before we move on into the actual meaning of the text is to look at the call to love our biological families because I want to protect us from this notion or this idea that we get to walk away from this message thinking, all I have to do is love Christians and I don't need to love my family because that's not true. It's not true at all. We can't walk away from this thinking that uh, Jesus is giving us this example of a, of a jerk son who's just ignoring his mom. We can't look at this story and just be like, yeah, you know, uh, I only have one family, my church family, and the rest are dead to me. Because I've seen Christians use that to, to go there. And so we see, if we look through the text, we see that the Bible is chock full of commands to care for our family, to care for our spouse, our parents, and our children, right? And so I'll just give you a couple examples. The first one, we look at marriage. Husbands are commanded to love their wives, and wives are commanded to respect their husbands. This was laid out by God in the Garden of Eden, confirmed by Jesus, taught by Paul. Marriage is a beautiful thing, and it is something that God gave to us. And so we can't use this passage to say, oh yeah, I can treat my wife like garbage to the glory of God. Or in a more subtle way, which I've seen happen many times, uh, pastors devote all their time to the church and abandon their families, right? We've seen that before, right? Next thing we see is that children are commanded to honor their parents, and this is an original uh, of the Ten Commandments. This was affirmed by Jesus in Mark chapter 10, Paul in Ephesians 6, Colossians 3. First Timothy chapter 5 also reminds older children to, quote-unquote, put their religion into practice by caring for their own family and so repaying their parents and grandparents for this is pleasing to God. It is honoring and pleasing to God to care for your older parents. So what Jesus is doing in that story is not saying, forget your parents. He's not saying that. And so lastly, we can see that, so husbands and wives are commanded to love each other. Children are commanded to honor their parents. And lastly, Psalm chapter 127 verse 3 tells us that children are a blessing and a heritage to parents and to society. It is not only a blessing to have children, but it's also a blessing to protect and provide for our children as well as raising them up in the ways of the Lord. It's our design. It is good for us. Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 5 verse 8 that, quote, if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for the members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So put all those verses together, and I don't think that you can conclude that Jesus is hearing his mom and brothers and sisters in the hallway, and he's like, I don't care about them. They mean nothing to me. That's not what, this, that's not what Jesus is saying here, right? I had to remind, like I said, I had to remind you because people have used that as a way to deny their families. God has commanded us to love and serve our spouses, our parents, our children, siblings, uncles, aunts, cousins, because it is his will and it's pleasing to him. Amen? So, with that big picture painted, let's look at what Jesus is actually saying in verse 50. 
He says, for whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. And so if the vision for how we love our biological family or adoptive family, your close family, if the call to love those people is so big, then how much bigger is it? How much bigger is the calling to love your church family, to love your fellow believer, right? Another way of saying what Jesus is saying is, do you see, much how, do you see how much we are called to love our blood family? Now multiply that by a thousand. My, my real family are the ones who do the will of my father. And that is the connection that Jesus has with us. Our connection with Jesus and our connection to one another in this room is infinitely greater than any blood connection that you have in this world, which is already a huge number, right? I think that's exponents in math. I don't really know about that. I don't know my job. I don't really do that. But if we've been reading through Matthew, I mean, we've been reading through Matthew for a while, it is no surprise to you or to me that the concept of family is extremely pronounced in the Gospel of Matthew, right? Matthew chapter 3, verse 17, a voice from heaven says about Jesus, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Matthew chapter 5, verses 44 to 45 says, Jesus says, but I say to you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. You get to Matthew 6 and it's just packed out. We're told to give, we're told to pray, we're told to fast in secret so that our Father in heaven will reward us. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, the Lord's prayer begins by appealing to who in heaven? Who? Our Father, right? And then we are, we are told to seek first the kingdom of God and to not be anxious because who knows our needs? Heavenly Father, right? Matthew chapter 7, we learn that it is not those who say, Lord, Lord, who will enter the heaven, but rather those who do the will of the Father, and of course, when you see the will of the Father, that reminds us of John chapter 6, verse 40, which says, for this is the will of my Father, in case you were wondering what the will of the Father is. This is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up in the last day. That's the will of the Father. Of course, we are made into children of God because of what John chapter 1, verse 12 says, to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. And so this is, this is family, right? This is the basis for family. However, we need to understand that our relationship with God the Father in His kingdom is not only about how we're related to Him, but also how we relate to one another. It's not just vertical, it's horizontal. We have to relate to one another in the right way. The health of faith is not measured by how much you love and trust God, but also by how much you love and serve your brothers and sisters in Christ. And I think, Beth, you can tell me right now, but First John, right? Just packed out. For anyone who did the woman's study on First John, right? Just packed out. You can't claim to love God and then hate your brother. You can't do it. It doesn't exist. It doesn't work. It does not work. You can't say, I'm in a healthy relationship with God and then have beef with somebody. It just doesn't work. It literally does not work. The whole thing breaks down. And so today we praise God for this because of Jesus' work on the cross. He not only blesses us with a new father, 
but he blesses us with new brothers and sisters. Amen? New spiritual fathers and mothers. New little brothers and sisters in Christ. Cousins, aunties, grandmothers. There is no reason for anyone to be missing an auntie or an uncle or a little sister or a big sister or a father or a mother or a grandmother in the body of Christ. Because when we are adopted, you don't just get the father. He's like, this is a bonus. Check this out. Look at this big family I got for you. Because heaven is not just going to be you and your father in heaven. It's going to be all of us, right? So when we read verse 50, which says, For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother, we must see that Jesus is saying that he has more in common with his disciples than he does with his own siblings who do not believe in him. Of course, we know that they eventually will come to believe, but at the very moment, even up, till, up to the point of Jesus' very death, he looked down, and who was there? His mother and who? John, the one, what does he call himself? The beloved one? The one who Jesus loves the most? And so I want you guys to do something for me right now. I want you to look around the room, and I want you guys to understand this. You have more in common with these people than you do with your own blood family. And, you know, some of you are blessed to have blood family in the room as well. So that's like, you know, double bingo. But for a lot of us who come from broken families, I hope that that is an encouragement to you. I know that that is a hot take, especially in this world. And especially for some cultures, you know, I look around um, many cultures in the world and they, you know, over the years, I, I was able to, been able to visit and eat at various tables and spend time in various cultures and ethnic homes and see how people value different things. And one of the most, the things that I saw most in common with a lot of places is family is everything. That's what, that's one thing I would see. When you go into a household and you see nine, ten people living in the same house, Right? Some of us may balk at that. We may say that's way too many people for one home. But for them, family is everything. They don't, it's just family rules. That's it. It's not about getting your own room. It's about family and what you would do for them and what you wouldn't do for them, right? And so I actually think that that is true. But I would change it and say that your spiritual family is everything. The people sitting in this room are your family. And so if we had a family crest, this is what it would say. And I want you guys to look at Ephesians chapter 4, verses 5 to 6. I'll give you a second to turn to it, actually. We're working on our technological uh, abilities to be able to put that up. It'll give your fingers a workout. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 5 to 6. Just quick, quick, quick show of hands. Like, who, when you say, when I say something like, you have more people in this in common, you have more in common with people in this room than your own blood family, does that, what does that make you feel? Is that uncomfortable? I know, I know, I, you can be, you could be honest. I mean, cool. You guys are holy. That's good. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 5 to 6. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, 
one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all, because we have put our faith in Jesus Christ as our Savior. We are now family. And Jesus regards us as this, amen? When he looks at Fellowship Oshawa, he says, that is one, that is one unit. That is one unit, one family unit. So the scriptures tell us to love our church family, or even loving fellow believers even more. But that's where we get into the concept of membership. Because it is almost virtually impossible to love every Christian in your life the same, just by sheer time and commitment. And you guys know how it is. If you have friends in the broader community, eventually you have to start picking and choosing who you're going to spend your time with, because you can't spread yourself thin. And so what membership is, is actually saying, I love all Christians, and I'm going to see them in heaven one day, but for now, because I am a limited, finite human being, I'm going to limit myself to one group of people. I'm going to put the majority of my eggs into this one basket, right? That's what membership is. It's not saying that you uh, forsake all other believers. It's saying, I want, because I know I'm a limited person, I have limited time, limited money, limited focus, limited attention, I'm going to just focus on these people and do the best I can, right? That's membership. So that's the second thing. We have to love our church family more than, even more than our love for our biological family. To close off, I want to look at some of the issues we have as a family. And uh, this is... uh, this is going to be, I'm not really a confrontational person. I don't really like to, you know, have hard words. I'm like not the, you know, hellfire and brimstone type guy myself. Very easygoing, like to crack jokes or whatever. But, you know, as, as an elder team, I, we were talking just last week about the health of our church. And I think we can affirm together that we're having a hard time right now. It's a hard season, right? I know uh, some of us are feeling, maybe you don't notice. Uh, maybe you got stuff going on and it's kind of like, oh, I didn't even realize. But from a big picture, and this may not apply to everyone, um, we are having a hard time. For a season, it seems as though we've struggled in our, in our unity and our zeal for the Lord. We have struggled in our passion for God's word, for prayer, for generosity, and for more. Uh, I think we're struggling in our discipleship relationships. Uh, I can see that between some of you, friend, friendships are drifting apart. We're not in the harvest as much as we used to be. People are sharing fewer and fewer prayer requests. Even since January, when we you know, look at the tithing in our church, it has gone down. Not just in total, but in total amount of people who have given. We're in a funk right now. I don't know if, if you want to affirm that, if you feel the same way. But from where I'm standing, it seems like there's like a, a dark cloud that's just kind of there. And that's okay in the sense that that's where we are. The Lord is sovereign over everything. But um, it's okay to be away, but it's not okay to stay that way, right? So as I reflect on Jesus' words in verse 50, I believe that a huge part of this funk that we're in is because we're not completely behaving like a family, I see three problems that we're facing right now as a church that I'm going to end with. And some of it might sound harsh. I'm not saying that everybody is guilty of these things across the board. I'm saying that, I, in part, I am guilty of some of these things. 
and there probably would have to be hard conversations that would come out of it, and I encourage you to, to come and talk, and that's okay. But I pray that these kind of wake us up out of our slumber. You know, spring is here. You know, it's a fresh season. We have an opportunity to go into a fresh season as, uh, in the life of our church as well. And I just pray that we're able to turn the tide. So, like I said, as much as these things are directed to you, they're also directed to me. So the first thing is, sometimes it seems like as we don't see Fellowship Oshawa as our actual family. And so it's one thing to say that the church is your family. But I think deep down in some ways, we don't really feel that way. Or we don't really treat one another that way. Right? There's times where... You know, family, you know what family is, but there is a line between your church family and your blood family, and those will never be on the same level. I remember in one of my first messages at Fellowship Oshawa, I shared a message. Uh, I shared a vision for church being like a family potluck. Do you guys remember that? So I'm just going to, off the top, I'm just going to kind of go through it again. And for those who weren't here, I shared that sometimes we cheat treat church. This is more of a North American issue, but I think at times I see this in us as well. But there's two types of churches. There's basically a restaurant and a potluck. And so for a restaurant, you go online, you find your restaurant that you want to go to, you roll up to the restaurant, maybe you book your reservation, and then you're seated at your table, you flip through your menu, you pick your food. When the food comes, you eat it. If you like it, you pay you tip, maybe. If you really liked it, maybe you'll leave a review on Yelp or on Google, and then you leave, right? Maybe you'll go back. Maybe you'll recommend it, maybe not. But if it doesn't suit what you like, which we all do for restaurants or stores or whatever, this is normal consumer behavior, is if we don't like it, then we don't go back, right? Or we continue to go, but we resent it. And the reason is because we go and we expect to sit and to receive. And church is about being fed. In my, in my time as a believer, the amount of times I've heard somebody say, I'm leaving my church because I'm not being fed, I, you know, if I had a dollar for every time, I'd have probably 30 bucks, which is still a lot of times, right? Um, church is not about being fed. Church is about bringing something to the table And the way it works in church life is if you bring one, you always leave with three. And so that's where the illustration of the potluck comes in. Because in a potluck, the way it works is everyone is invited and everyone is expected to bring something. When you get to the potluck, everybody works together to set up the tables, the dishes, the utensils. Even if you couldn't bring something, there's always the guy who brings the pack of Oreos. That's okay. Right? The Popeye's bowl, you know, somebody always brings Popeye's to a potluck. Sometimes people don't bring anything to a potluck, but what do they do? They get up, they move chairs, they wash dishes, they hold kids, they do something, right? And what happens at a potluck? How much food is there? It's, there's like this weird math. I don't really understand how it works. It's because nobody really brings enough just for their family. Everybody goes to a potluck is like, I got to bring enough for 20. And they don't realize the math, but like 20 people are bringing enough for 20. Now you got enough food for 400 people, and (laughs) there's just way too much food, right? And yeah, everybody's leaving with doggy bags and and Tupperware is full of food and whatever, you know? 
That's what church ought to look like. We come together as a family. We enjoy one another's company. There's no, uh, there's no set menu. You bring what you can bring. You bring what you can bring, and we enjoy the, 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 the choices that one another, we make with, with one another, right? So if, if you bring the Popeye's uh, thing, someone else is going to enjoy that. You look at the table, and you're like, wow, none of those things work together. But you go down the table, and everybody's just like, yeah, I'll have, like, I'll have the curry, and I'll also have chicken fingers, and I'll also have this cup of milk, and I'll have a glass of Coke, and I'll do all these things. And you mix it all together, and it's weird, but it's us. It's what we did together, and everyone is gorged, and everyone is full, and you probably could have fit 20 more people there, and you'd still have leftovers. That is what an actual family looks like. That's what family dinner looks like. And so, church, I want to encourage us to move away. Uh, you know, this is not, like I said, this is not for everyone. This is not applicable to everyone. It's not true for everyone. But if you have felt yourself drifting into a place of consumeristic thinking, where church is a place to go and receive, where you say to yourself, I'm going to go and sit, I'm going to be fed, and then I'm going to leave. If this is something that you're guilty of, I pray that you, you would just hear my words right now and, and understand that church is a place to give. It is more blessed to give than to receive, right? And that's kingdom math. Bring one little thing of food and you leave with way more than you came with. I don't understand it at a potluck and I don't understand it here. But when we come to church and when we prepare and we're ready to serve and we're ready to, to have a conversation with someone and you're ready to give a hug and, you know, maybe you can't, maybe you're not preaching, maybe you're not in worship, but, you know, you move a chair and you shake someone's hand and you hold a child or, you know, you clean up a spill or something like that. It just, it adds up, right? And you get these little chips that add up to, to, to joy. It's not, a, it's not an opportunity to come and sit and eat. It's not a restaurant, right? And so that's one of the first things that I see that we're struggling with. The second one is, and sometimes it seems like our view of family is very fractured. And so what I've noticed about human beings is when life gets hard, we tend to revert back to our most basic behaviors, the stuff we learned growing up. When we are healthy believers walking in the spirit, we appeal to the spirit's way of acting like a family. We start to bear with one another, serve one another, care for one another, share with one another, forgive one another when we fight. We have hard conversations and we thrive, right? And I know that so many of us are going through hard times, but sometimes it seems like in a lot of ways we are reverting back to our fleshly definition of what family is. And perhaps it's something that you've learned from your own blood family. Things like being passive aggressive, harboring hard feelings instead of having hard conversations, prioritizing everything but family, pulling away and isolating. Those are all things that we would do with our own families, but in the body of Christ, we are governed by the Holy Spirit who gives us a different way out. We are no longer slaves of sin, right? And so we can do it differently. Sometimes, instead of being vulnerable, we default to a place of defense or a place of hiding. In our families, sometimes we get selfish and we're out to get our own. We show up ready to receive, but very hesitant to serve and give. Sometimes we show up unprepared and then we rush off to whatever is better elsewhere. Or sometimes we don't even come because we feel like something better is happening elsewhere. These are all behaviors that we sometimes learn from our blood families. And I'm not trying to be critical of you and saying that the things that you're doing are wrong and you just need to do better. 
But what I am saying is we have been freed by the Holy Spirit. We have been regenerated, and we no longer have to live like the world. And so if you sense yourself drifting back into that place where you're not viewing family from the Spirit's eyes, but you're viewing family from how you grew up viewing family, which may or may not be healthy, I pray that you would see that that is a sinful and destructive uh, behavior, and it lends uh, pain to the overall body. So the third thing, first one is we don't see, you know, Fellowship Oshawa as our actual family. Second is our view of family is fractured. But the third one is, in a lot of ways, we're disconnected from our father. And so in many ways, we are drifting away from our first love. And when we are disconnected from Jesus, then we are disconnected from our father. I want to be sympathetic because I understand that everyone has different reasons. I know COVID has taken a, a toll on us, even though there haven't been even many instances of people requiring testing, but we haven't even had a case, right? But even without cases and even without sickness and even without death, it is still taking a toll on us. Some of us are going through very hard circumstances, depression, anxiety, loneliness. Some of us can't find work. Some of us aren't sleeping well, eating well. Conflict at home. Lots of stuff, right? And there's many reasons and many solutions. But whatever the reason is, you have to understand, and we have to understand, and I have to understand that our relationship with our, our Father in Heaven is everything. It's important that we don't let our emotions dictate what we do. And it's important that we don't allow our circumstances to stop us from being faithful to the things that that family does and to the important things in life like spiritual disciplines and healthy church membership. We can't allow our fear or our anger or our sadness or our purposelessness to take us away from our shepherd. And every time we... Uh, feel a certain way or we feel like it's not going to mean anything if we do it every time we opt to do the opposite of what our father is telling us to do we are saying to it's basically saying to the doctor you know you go to the doctor and you're like i have the flu and the doctor's like okay drink fluids and rest and then you go home and you're like i'm going to dehydrate myself and stay up all night and your flu gets infinitely worse and then you go back to the doctor and you say doctor my flu is getting worse and he's like have you been drinking fluids and resting no, I've been partying. Well, you're not doing what I'm telling you to do as a doctor, and you expect things to get better. It's just impossible. And so our great physician, Jesus Christ, has given us many weapons and tools in our tool belts, in our sheaths that we can use. And so I just want to encourage you guys as I close off the message. The first thing is remember the gospel. I know that sometimes this becomes like white noise almost. It's like a noise machine. It just kind of fades into the background. But it is no small deal and is not an insignificant fact that Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, died to purchase our souls. Amen? We can't just hear that and be like, big deal. It is a big deal. <laughs> it's not a sarcastic big deal. It's an actual big deal. Our Jesus, our Jesus rose from the dead. He rose from the dead. And I, Beth, I heard you say it. You, he rose from the dead. I know we're not a charismatic church. I know we're not like super duper lively, but like the wall should be ripping now when, when whoever's doing worship says that. There should be mass applause because it is the single most 
defining fact of our entire lives. If Jesus Christ is in the grave somewhere, then whatever you're going through should kill you. And that's pretty much as good as it gets. But because our Lord Jesus Christ is alive, that is everything. That is everything, okay? Don't waste that fact. Yes. Don't waste it. Second thing is, even if you are guilty of some of the things I listed, there is grace and love within a family. Your Father in heaven is always faithful to cleanse you and help you start over if you repent, but so is your family. So is your family. And so maybe there's some hard conversations that need to happen. Make it happen, right? And that's the third point. We're still a family. We just need to act like it. There is grace and love available here. And so as your elders, I just want to say on behalf of Chris and Mike, and we love you very much. I know it's not, you know, things get busy and you maybe feel like that's not true, but we love you very much. And we don't always show it, but we love you very much. And so if you, we were very much interested in, invest, in investing in your lives. And so if you need to talk to us, reach out. If you need to hang out, get a coffee, get a meal, come by. Make, just send a message. We'll make it happen. But it's not just us that I want to encourage you to reach out to. I want you guys to spend time with one another. This is, this is like the, my favorite thing about this church. The fact that you guys hang out. And I know there were lockdowns and there were rules, but you, guys, look at, look at the weather outside. <laughs> Come on, man. There's like so much reason to be together. So if you feel like you've got to take precautions, take whatever precautions you've got to take. If you feel like you've got to stay inside or stay outside, stay outside. You have no reason not to. If you feel like you, you don't mind having a meal at someone's house, I want you to schedule it. Like today, like when we're standing out there. <laughs> Get your phones out and start making appointments. I want to encourage every single person in this room to find their way to a meal or a coffee or a walk with someone in this room. And it's not allowed to be your spouse. <laughs> I mean, maybe you and your spouse need it too, but my challenge is to spend time with one another. Get back to that. Play a board game. Watch a movie. Be together. Isolation is done, okay? I'm, if, you know, I'm officially killing it. It's dead. You know, <laughs> we're finished with that. Done. Board games, Monday, all right? I'm coming by. Yeah. <laughs> Tell Judy. Uh, if, you're, if you're at odds with someone, go to them. You said time out? Yeah, we have beef now. Okay, we'll talk. If you're at odds with somebody, go to them. Forgive them. If you've hurt someone, go to them. Ask for forgiveness. You know how it goes. The longer you let these things, things linger, the worse they get, right? Sometimes it could have just been like, hey, why'd you say that? That was a dumb thing to say. And then you move on. And then you wait an extra week and it's just like, I think that person hates me. And then you wait two weeks and you're like, I'm seriously considering leaving this church. And then week four, you're just like depressed and out, you know? And it's like week one, day one, we could have handled that. We could have got ahead of it. This is, I'm guilty of this. I, I think at some point we're all guilty of it. And sometimes we're not even holding on to things, but it just sits there, right? The nature of conflict, it just sits there. We need to fix things, right? So if, you, if you're in that position, ask for forgiveness or forgive that person. Last thing is, I would encourage you guys to keep asking for prayer from one another. More importantly, pray for one another. Pray for one another. You don't have to sit down every day and go through every single name and pray for every single request. 
God knows that that would take a long time, right? We have issues. <laughs> but pray for someone. Pray for someone. Pray for someone other than yourself. I know that's a hard word, but <laughs> pray for someone other than yourself. Pray for someone in this church. I'd encourage you to join us for prayer tonight at 730. And if you can't come, find another time. If you're a morning person, do mornings. If you're a night person, do nights. Afternoon, you get the same lunch break, do it over lunch break. Ten minutes. It doesn't have to be long. We need to keep doing that. And so I love you guys very much, and I pray that the Holy Spirit will gel us together again. To close, I want to read from Ephesians 4, verses 4 to 6 again. I feel like this could be our family crest, or on the crest anyways. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Let's pray. Father, we are, we are part of your family. We did your will by falling on our faces in repentance and believing in your Son. And God, with the act of humility that your Spirit made in us, you adopted us into your family, and you made us our Father, and we are eternally grateful for that. But you also gave us brothers and sisters, and so I pray that you help us as a, to act as a family, that your Spirit would move in us, not by our own strength, but that your Spirit would move in us and help us to love one another, to serve one another, to check up on one another, to be there, to visit to cook for one another, to help one another however we can. I thank you for the people in our church who are great examples of this, sending greeting cards, sending little notes and text messages. God, I just pray that you would make this alive in all of us. Help us to not live as, a, as silos, but as a united body. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.